Welcome to Marvel Us Disney. Welcome to Marvel Us Disney, the podcast that discusses most of the recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions at the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. As for who the us in this show's title is, I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill. And before we get started on this week's news segment, let me bring in this podcast's resident Marvel maven, and that is the amazing Aaron Adams. Hey, good to be back, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing okay, okay. And this is obviously a big news week, a time when people are really, really, really excited about Black Panther, which is blowing up the box office all over the place. With good reason. Yeah. You and I are obviously both excited about this Ryan Coogler film, which is why we're going to bring a special guest in to talk about this Marvel Studio release later in the show. But... Before we do that, let's take a quick look at some of the headlines. The big news actually just broke yesterday. We're recording this, by the way, on the last day of February 2018. Yesterday, Disney chairman Bob Iger met with French President Emmanuel Macron. I think I said that name right. <laughs> Macron. Oh, I like Macron. that. <laughs> I broke my learning saying that. And over the course of this meeting, Iger revealed that the Walt Disney Company is planning over the next 10 years to invest $2.1 billion in the Disneyland Paris Resort. Disney last year uh, upped its stake in the Disneyland Paris Resort. It went from owning 40% of it to doing a buyback and basically collected all the shares and is now the outright owner of the resort. Wait a minute. Are you trying to say that Disney didn't own 100% of a Disney property? That's also the same deal with Hong Kong Disneyland. And if I'm not mistaken... The majority shareholder of Shanghai Disneyland is actually the Chinese government. I had no idea. I thought it was just Disney bought land, plunked down a resort, and made money. I didn't realize that the actual governments were part of that. Oh, no. In fact, uh, you may want to circle back on the Disney Dish podcast that Len and I just recorded, where we did sort of a deep dive on the history of the Disneyland Paris Resort and the French government, when they were negotiating with Disney between 1985 and 1987, they got Disney to agree that they would build three theme parks as part of the project. Eesh. They And they set deadlines. The first park, when they signed the deal in 87, had to be open in five years, and they made that one. It opened in 92. Trouble is they ran into financial issues right off the bat, and the bankers and the investors are like, yeah, 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 that's really unfortunate. You still have to have Park 2 open by the 10th anniversary of the opening of the resort. And they gave Disney no wiggle room. They had to get their new studio park open by 2002. Wow. The original terms of the deal were that they had to have Park 3 open by 2017. And if you want to find out how Disney got out of that, you better go listen to the podcast. The Disney Dish Podcast. The Disney Dish one. Podcast, yeah. Okay, jumping back into the news now that I've derailed you thoroughly. So we were talking about French President, uh, say his name again, Macron. Macron. So what Disney's looking to do over the next 10 years is add three new lands to Walt Disney Studios Paris. The first is going to be a clone of Galaxy's Edge. That's the Star Wars-themed land that Disney's right now in the process of building. At Anaheim, there's one version, and in Orlando, they're building another one at Disney Hollywood Studios. There's also going to be a land dedicated, surprise, surprise, to Frozen. Mm -hmm. But what's really cool about this is the third land is going to be built around characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. In much the same way that Disney wanted to save money as they were making Galaxy's Edge, Hong Kong Disneyland is building a giant Marvel complex that kind of keys off of their Iron Man experience ride. And they're gutting their Buzz Lightyear ride and turning that into an Ant-Man and the Wasp ride-through shooter. But mm -hmm. right outside beyond the train tracks, just outside of Tomorrowland, between now and 2023, I want to say, they are building what looks like the Avengers headquarters that we saw at the end of Civil War? Yeah, Civil War had that at the end. Okay, yeah, the giant complex out there in the woods. Cool. So Disney's famous for when they're going to build a new land or expand a park. They release these pieces of concept art that have just enough detail to convince you you're actually looking at something, but are just vague enough that when they change their minds later, it's like, well, no, that was, whoa, what are you talking about? We never <laughs> planned on building that. 
But the interesting thing is if you look at the art and you look at the Marvel section, it looks like they're going to be duplicating the giant Avengers show building that they're building for Hong Kong. So Mm. it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Speaking of other Marvel-related things, we're about to get into March and what comes back in March, but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Are you excited or are you kind of over S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point? You know, I kind of enjoyed the whole Kree blown up Earth arc. I've liked season five a lot more than, you know, and Ghost Rider was great in season four, but there's those stretch points where it just seems like they're in a lull for the mid-season part. And the season five has felt a bit tighter than previous seasons. So I've enjoyed it a bit more. So I'm, I'm still looking forward to see how this wraps up. Yeah. In fact, it's, it's interesting you use the word wraps up. Exactly. ABC moved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. out of its normal Tuesday slot this past season and actually took Once Upon a Time, which for years it aired on Sunday night. And they, they sort of clapped them together and, and sort of a, a paired them up with the notion that they were going to turn Friday night on on the ABC schedule into sort of a destination for fantasy and sci-fi fans, and it's been a disaster. Both shows have never gotten lower ratings. Once Upon a Time just announced that they're shutting down production after seven seasons this year. Given what just happened with Inhumans, where... That bombed. That bombed hard. They haven't actually announced that it's canceled. They're just not going to mention it like a relative they're ashamed of. Eh, We don't talk about Uncle Johnny anymore. Yeah, so it's killing me because it looks like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is probably going to close up shop with its fifth season. Do you know if they take streaming into account in their decision-making? I know that for the most part, they only base their ratings in the ratings war on the actual viewers of the actual television broadcast signal and the cable version of that. But do they take account how many people are streaming? Because to be honest, I have never watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. while it was airing on television. I've always ended up streaming it after the fact at a time more convenient to my lifestyle. These days, yes. When it comes to ratings, there is the night of, there's plus three, there's plus seven. Okay. But when you're talking about terrestrial television, you know, legacy television, you have to be able to go to advertisers and say, hey, they really did like your comfort in ad. They would do so much better if they would just adopt a new mentality and do a total. It's not just that we had three million viewers on Monday night. It's the fact that you had maybe five million viewers over the course of a week. If you include the streaming service, there's a way to bundle numbers to make them look more appealing. Even though in the ratings they may be failing, there's the streams. And then you can also go, and also the pirates downloaded us a million times too. So people like the content, they just aren't getting it the right way. It's funny you talk about this because just this past week, Disney's been talking about the streaming service that it's looking to launch in 2019. I mean, this year they'll be launching an ESPN variant on it, but next year they're doing a streaming service in direct competition with Netflix. Right. And one of the things that just bubbled up this week is they're looking to revive The Muppet Show as part of the streaming service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good news, right? It is, but here's the thing. The 2016-2017 season on ABC... They brought in Bill Prady, the guy behind the Big Bang Theory, who had written for Muppets back in the day, and and Disney was so excited that they got the Big Bang Theory guy, who had a history with the Muppets, and he was going to write hurt on them. And they launched the show, and started off with an audience of six million, and by the time they pulled the plug on it, it was down to three. Mm -hmm. Now, if you talk with the Muppet people... When they were originally pitching this idea, everyone forgets that when we did the original Muppet Show back in 75, we were syndicated. So we just had to do well in our individual regional market. And that's why the show lasted five years. Right. Whereas when they did the Muppets Tonight in 95 or thereabouts, what ended up happening was that it lasted Two seasons. And to be honest, the second season was just a gimme. Right. And every other attempt of being on the networks is, it's just sort of like, look, the Muppets take a while to get started. I mean, in fact, you know, if you look at that first season of the original Muppet show from 75, I mean, Piggy wasn't a character. It took them a while to figure out how to do the show. Right. It only became a real monstrous cultural hit in season three, four, and five. 
the thing is, the Muppet Studios people were like, can we just go to Netflix? Why, if we go to ABC, we're going to have to have ratings, and it's going to take us like 10, 15 shows at least to figure out the show. Right. And no, you know, ABC was, got very indignant about it. Like, you know, no, wait a minute. You know, these are the Muppets, and we should get first dibs, and why are they going to Netflix? And so, in the end, Disney bowed to ABC and, all right, fine, you have the Muppets. And now here we are just two years later. And oddly enough, here's Disney's response to Netflix. And, you know, guess where the Muppets are going to end up? Right. And I would bet you, Aaron, that this is the Muppet show that's going to succeed. Now, mind you, one of the reasons that it's probably going to succeed is that rather than being backstage at a talk show, I mean, that's the thing people talked about the last iteration of the Muppets is it was really sort of the Muppets version of The Office. I mean... Right, yeah, yeah. And evidently with this one, they're going right back to the old format. It's going to be a variety show and put the characters right back where people want them. I remember watching The Muppets growing up as a kid, and I think today you got to make a, cho a creative choice. You can either target the kids like you did back in the day, or you can target the fans that were kids back in the day. And if you're targeting the kids that were fans back in the day, those people are adults now. And we've got a different sense of humor. It's a more refined taste. And I think that if you're going for the adult fans of the Muppets, you've got to subvert the formula somehow, make them not quite perverse, but I mean, just give them a, a bit more of an adult edge. That's what Prady tried. In fact, I mean, I don't know if you actually saw... I did. I, I liked where they were going with the last iteration of the Muppets. It's just that not enough of America joined in on our ride with that. Same thing. I enjoyed the idea of breaking up Piggy and Kermit. I enjoyed a lot of the ideas they put out there because, again, it gave the show a place to go. Right. But because it was network, it was like, oh, my God, we are losing in this time slot. When you, you look at the this, this show in 75, it would, I mean, it was all over the place. It You know, in the Boston markets, it aired on Monday nights at 7.30. And in Cincinnati, it was Friday nights at 7. All over the country, it was in a different time. And it all it mattered was, how did you do in that market? And are the people who are running the show in syndication are they happy with with the ratings and are the advertisers happy with the ratings and sure they are so this is again why get the muppets on streaming i think it's good that they're going to netflix because they do have more creative leeway to break mm -hmm. the boundaries of what abc may allow for their family-friendly programming mm -hmm. but also if they've already tried to subvert the muppets and they feel that it didn't work and then they're going back to their old 70s style format. My feeling is I may not be going along on that ride with them. They may be going towards kids again. I don't know. We'll have to wait well, and see. We'll find we'll out. Definitely, we'll have to wait and see. And since we're talking about Netflix, of all the Marvel television stuff that they did over at Netflix, what was your favorite of the series that, that they were Boy, doing over there? That's a tough call. I would just have to say my least favorite is Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed Daredevil, both seasons one and two, especially when they introduced The Punisher. That was really, really good. And now, yeah, we've got a Punisher series, and I really enjoyed that. But the one that I end up watching the most over and over again is Jessica Jones. Well, then I have good news for you. Next week on March 8th, season Yay. two gets underway. Kristen Ritter did amazing work, and likewise David Tennant. Yep. But season two is picking up right at where season one left off, and we're dealing now with Jessica. She's never really known where her superpowers came from, and that's right. kind of what they'll be exploring this season. A little bit of a plot thread to wrap up there. That's cool. There we go. Oh, as of this afternoon, Black Panther has just become the 20th highest-grossing film in North American history. It's $421 million, and that's in 12 days? Just 12 days. That's amazing. It's already blown by the box office of last year's hit Wonder Woman and kind of ticking off the folks at Pixar because it, it just also blew by their 2010 smash hit Toy Story 3. But given all this Wakanda-related loot that's just pouring through Disney's door, I'm pleased to talk about this, that the Mouse and Marvel have decided to give a little money back. They are donating $1 million to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America with the idea that these funds will then be used to develop STEM programs all over the country. So so for me, that's like, that's cool. You're, you're planting the seeds for all these little churries, sending you know, all these brilliant young ladies out into the world who will use their smarts today to make all of our tomorrows better. It's nice to have a hero that inspires beyond punching, kicking, flying, and shooting, but about thinking in science. 
We are less than 10 weeks away now from the release of Avengers Infinity Wars, which is supposed to be the longest film that Marvel Studios has ever produced. Not surprised by that. You've got every hero in there in the whole universe. So what's it clock in at? Five hours? <laughs> Studio hasn't actually released this information yet, but CM Cinemas, which is the largest theater chain in the Philippines, they've made advanced tickets available, which, by the way, opens there on April 25th. Stateside, it's May 4th. So if you uh, really want to see this movie early, get in a plane to the, the Philippines. Philippines. <laughs> there you go. So according to them, they are listing the running time of Infinity Wars at 150 minutes, two and a half hours. Now, to, to put that in perspective, Black Panther is only two hours and 15 minutes long. You say only 215 like that's short. Well, that's still no, a long movie. Now, here, here's the thing. When I was in college, my job was I ran a cinema in Acton, Massachusetts. And I would have to sort of run around my school schedule and go into Boston and pick up film cans. And when you work in that business and you get a film like that, that's two and a half hours or three hours, it really complicates your life. Because typically here in North America, a nighttime movie starts at seven. And then if you're going to try to get in your second show, well, that's 10 o'clock at night. And my cinema was out in the suburbs. 10 o'clock at night, they've rolled up the sidewalks. So, you'd only <laughs> right. get, so you only get that one show in. You talk to exhibitors. The movies they love are 90 minutes long. That means a new show every two hours and it gives you time to clean the theater and, and all that. But two and a half hours? And also, forgive me for being rude here, but when a film is that long... You don't sell the seven-gallon sodas, all right? You know, just, or on the other hand, think of the money you could make selling adult diapers. Right. I'm surprised Disney and Marvel haven't thought of this. But like I said, that's not showing up in theaters till May 4th of this year. But right now, all anyone wants to talk about is Black Panther. That's the film that's burned up the box office right now. Looking at this box office and looking at what just happened this past weekend with Black Panther, Disney had announced on Friday that they anticipated that it would do over $100 million on its second weekend, which is rare to begin with. But then as the weekend went along, Disney kept having to go back and go, okay, did we say 100? Now it looks like 104. And then last night it was like, oh, 108. And then today, Monday, the 26th, Disney actually had to come out and say, we're sorry, we got the number wrong. It actually made 112 over the weekend, which means this isn't just word of mouth. This is something different. This is a phenomenon, which is why I think we need to bump out our conversation about Black Panther in kind of a different way. Absolutely. And as I went to go see the movie, I greatly enjoyed it. And a lot of people, like Kevin Feige was saying, it's the best Marvel movie they've made to date. And I think when you look at best versus worst, you look at those things from a personal frame point. My favorite movie out of the cinematic universe right now is Spider-Man, but that's only because I've been growing up with Spider-Man since I was three years old. Uh, you're coming in too early. We have a special guest with us, old colleague and brother of mine, McConnell Adams. Please welcome to the show. How you doing, man? It's so good to have your voice back in my earlobes once again. I thank you very, very much for having me, and I laughed at you and the whole Spider-Man thing because God knows Aaron loves him some Spider-Man. So. <laughs> you know, McConnell and I lived together for a, a couple of years when we were working together back in the day, and yeah, if anyone can attest to my addiction, there is Spider-Man stuff all throughout the house in every room, trinkets and characters, and I've only got about 50 t-shirts of the guy. So, yeah, my argument is it doesn't have to be Marvel's best movie, what mm -hmm. I believe it is, is Marvel's most important movie. And okay. to be completely honest, McConnell, we've got two old white guys hosting a show talking about black culture. And I thought, man, it would be really cool if we could get someone who's part of the African-American community to tell <laughs> from their point of view, hey, did you like the movie? Was it great? Was it bad? Was it in between? What did it do for you? I really like the movie, and I don't know if they set out to make this huge cultural undertaking, or, you know, I know you were talking about it, it's like, I don't know if it's the best Marvel movie, but it's the most important one. I don't know if they sat back and thought to themselves that this needs to be the cultural line in the sand, but they accomplished it, and I think they did it by a number of ways, by getting a Coogler to direct it. You got a black director, you got a black cast filled with some powerhouses in there, you know what I'm saying? Angela Bassett, 
and company and everything. You know what? They usually do pretty good when they got somebody that starred in a really, really crappy superhero movie and then they go into <laughs> another one. And I think with Michael B. Jordan coming in as Killmonger, this guy, he was like, I got to make up for that for that Fantastic Four Human Torch thing or whatever. And he came through in spades because in addition to hearing everything like this is the most important Marvel movie and this is historically and all this or whatever, a lot of people are saying Michael B. Jordan is the best Marvel villain that they have ever seen. So I don't know if they said out to make the best Marvel movie and everything, but they moved in all the right directions, and what they came out with, it's awesome. You know, when you see people say stuff like Masterpiece and Wonderful and Marvelous and everything, it's a great movie, and I don't know um, I, I, if I gotta wait for the question or whatever, but I know a lot of people go to went to see this thing because they're like, finally, a movie about us right. and how we really, really feel that we should be represented in movies. There's no drug dealers. There's no pimps, no hookers, no this, no that. It's just all positive colors and the whole and the homeland, and my dad wanted to go see this movie. I went to church at the first week after it came out. My pastor is up in the pulpit, and he's all like, oh man, I saw Black Panther, now I'm hyped. And I'm like, <laughs> even the pastor's hyped up. This meant a lot to a lot of people. For yeah. folks who, who were waiting for a black superhero movie, all an all-black vehicle, I guess you will, or whatever. People have been waiting for Black Panther, and it had hype, and it lived up to the hype. Let me ask you, I saw this movie in Indianapolis, and the movie theater best guest was 75% African-American. We were seeing a late, late showing, and the theater was packed, not a spare seat, mostly African-American. And the one woman next to me apologized before the movie started. She said, if I end up talking throughout the movie, please forgive me. And I told her, I, I grew up seeing movies in the Detroit area, so I'm okay with viewing in a black audience. If you got to shout and say, hell yeah, go for it. You, you do you, I'm okay. But you saw it in Lansing, Michigan? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was the crowd like there? What was the mix of black to white? And I'm going to say this, and I, I feel like sometimes I have to, you know, preface it by saying certain things or whatever. Sure. The first time I saw it, I think the makeup of the room was probably... I would love to say it was 50-50 or whatever, but it was a predominantly white audience. Oh, okay. And... All the stuff that like white people go to movies and when black people are talking halfway through the movies, like, oh, I wish they would shut up or whatever else <laughs> like that. I'm in this and while the trailers are going, because I'm like, I, I got to see Black Panther. I'm hype. I need to catch and hear everything. There's this group of chicks behind me and their boyfriends. And they're talking about doing something like in Buffalo. And I just kind of wanted to turn around and like, could y'all shut up? You don't understand how this movie is to me. And in all honesty, I think I didn't enjoy the movie as well as I did the second time because I went and saw my little brother. And he's he's like 30-something or whatever. And like I got another brother there with me. We were both looking at this and we are like, he's leaned over and he goes, man, this is the dopest thing I've ever seen, you know? So, I don't know, maybe it's like where you saw it, who you saw it with and everything. Um, so, <laughs> it's kind of funny. You're you're in a theater with a bunch of black people watching the movie. I got a bunch of white people around me. I'm like, So, it's crazy that way, but it's interesting how that affects you, like who you see it with and how comfortable you feel with it. And it's like, can I enjoy this? And, you know, are people looking at me like, uh-oh, is the black guy going to be pissed if this isn't right? Or remember all the dumb stuff they were talking about on Facebook, like white people got beat up when they went to see. No, no. not at all. I got to tell you, it's almost like going to church. It had a yeah. welcoming vibe. Like you step foot yeah. in that theater and people were there to have a good time and celebrate in something. And you don't even have to have the movie start. You could just tell by the buzz in the crowd. That's the way that the vibe was in that room. While it's important, I think, as the movie going public, when it comes to superhero stuff, let me flash back to the fact that a lot of folks are still reeling off the disappointment of what they thought was Justice League. Mind you, I liked Justice League, yeah. but there's a lot of folks, and like, you don't know what you walk into sometimes. You're like, okay, I'm going to go in, this thing is hyped to hell. Is it going to be a good movie? Is it going to be a good superhero movie? And that's what I think a lot of people are going into, and then you, now you got the added opus of, is this going to be a good African-American vehicle? Because a lot of people are sitting back going, it's Black Panther, they need to get this right. And we need to look at this as well, too. It was released in the middle of February. Yeah. I'm sure they didn't go head-to-head -head with Fifty Shades of Grey because they wanted all the room to themselves. And a lot of people were probably like, we ain't going head-to-head -head against Black Panther because they released it right in the middle of Black History Month. So there was a little bit of like, we know who our audience is. and We kind of want to make sure we got it right there. But um, yeah, man. It's interesting you mentioned about knowing what you were getting into. 
Did you get to see Captain America's Civil War, which was obviously when this version of the Black Panther w- was introduced to the cinematic universe? Did that raise your expectations? How did that influence you? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're going to get a new character in the Marvel Universe. You get a new character, especially for me, that I was already aware of, and it's like, can't wait to see what they're going to do with him. Then you find out who the guy is they cast for him. He's not somebody that we know, but he's like, okay, he kind of looks the part. All the previews and trailers we saw beforehand, it's like, oh my God, they're finally going to have Black Panther on the screen, and you were hyped. So yes, I was very, very hyped about that. You know, throw that in with the fact that you got Civil War, and you got the adaptation from the comic book, but it was going to be a little bit of a different story. So I was ready for all of that. And just the cherry on top of that was the fact that, oh my God, Black Panther is going to be in this. And you got Black Panther, you got the Scarlet Witch, you got, you know, Vision and stuff. You, you just got everybody coming in. But yeah, that was an added, added extra bonus for me. And I think they did a great job. It lived up to the hype there. And then after you got done with that, it's like, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with him on his own. He's got his own vehicle. And you, like I say, you have your fingers crossed and you hope you're not disappointed. And it did not disappoint. Uh, one other question here. What about the first 15 or 20 minutes or so where one of the things I really enjoyed about this movie was he was surrounded by these ridiculously strong black women who were almost dismissive of him and get the whole did he freeze he froze that stuff and then to plow straight into getting to see Wakanda where it's this wonderful futuristic city but at the same time with such a great design and so respectful of both the Marvel source material and the culture I mean what was it like to have the world set up in that fashion I mean obviously you had an action scene in the middle of all that I think you bring up a very very important part you have a black man who's or an African American man who is the main center point of this and he is the king and he is the main hero but he's also surrounded by these very nurturing very strong black women as a matter of fact and i'm gonna mess up names and everything or whatever else like that you got the general you got his mother who was the queen you got his sister who is head of the tech division and everything else like that or whatever so these aren't just women who are there and their side pieces or anything else like that they surround him and they also empower him and enable him and they're taking on positive female black role models and it's great from the strong and the whole thing about the freeze because you know she showed up and she backed him up or whatever to the girl that we thought he was rescuing but he wasn't rescuing her she was on a mission turns out to be his love interest it's like every character played into it especially the women part because it's nice you're not a submissive you're not you're not secondary you're extremely important part you're strong you're fierce and i'm sure black women sat back and like hell yeah you know (laughs) The, the one i was sitting next to had a few comments about the strong power of a woman and the men line up because they know if they don't, they ain't getting no more of that. <laughs> and right. I was like, right on, and, sister. <laughs> and there's so many other things, like in the big fight scene where the different tribes are fighting each other, like near the end of the movie. And I can't remember the names, but the general stood there in front of the rhinoceros and she was fighting with her lover or whatever. And he's the leader of the one tribe. And just that whole dynamic right there. It's like, we're in a relationship, but this doesn't go like normal movies go. It's like, I'm standing, I'm strong, I'm fighting for my beliefs, and yeah, I would fight you and I would kill you for this country. It takes on a whole new meaning. It's so different because it's not the roles that you think people are supposed to play and how people are supposed to act. They're strong, dominant roles, and even though you're a secondary character, you mean something to this thing, you know? And if I can, I kind of want to point out something that I liked about the movie that I'm not sure if people paid attention to or whatever, but and it's going to sound racial completely or whatever, but usually it's the white guy that comes comes through and he's got the idea or something else like that or whatever. But usually you expect like the white knight in shining armor to come in and to save the day or to come up with the idea. You had part where T'Challa's sister is talking about, oh, you bought me another broken white boy to fix. I love that scene. I absolutely love I mean, I'm so glad you talked about that because it's like half the fun of this movie was the left turns that we've all seen hundreds and hundreds of movies and half the fun of this movie was the fact that okay haven't seen that before haven't seen that before haven't heard that before and that line just killed me in the theater that know? line the colonizers line which was yeah. a, like that was a pretty strong rebuke there or whatever else yeah. like that yeah. um, when they went up in the mountains and they had to find T'Challa and you know they were making the plea to the guy who was the head of the tribe of the uh, they were living in the mountains and when the CIA agent guy started talking and they started barking at him or like you know making ape noises at him it was like you do not speak here and one of the funniest parts in the movie where they were talking about feeding him to the children and i don't want to ruin that in case you haven't seen that was great 
if you watch Civil War, like you made a mention to beforehand, we all know that Black Panther said, you know, give me Winter Soldier, give me Bucky. And I was expecting maybe he's going to show up somewhere in the movie. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yep. You know, halfway through. I thought when they were fighting and they needed to be saved, Bucky was going to be the guy because that's the expectation. Here comes the white guy to save everybody. All right. But no, it wasn't it at all. They okay. saved him to the end. Movie. Yeah, yeah. I got to tell you that they had thought about using him in the middle of the movie, and then mm-hmm. the realization hit that they've got all of these African people fighting yep. for their nation, and all of a sudden to have a white guy come out with a machine gun and start killing a bunch of black people may not fly very well for this story. And I think it was a very smart decision because they thought about bringing Bucky in towards the climax. Right, and I think that was a very smart move. Yeah. I also think too, a lot of people don't know if you read the comic book, Mbaka, I think, or whatever his name is. The guys in the mount, he was a tribe that came down and they challenged first for the throne the, the right. first time around when they were fighting. His character in the comic book, he was called Man Ape. For them to transition, they're like, oh, if we put this guy in the movie and we have him dressed up as half white ape and we're calling him Man Ape, it's like, we're going to get tremendous blowback from this. So whoever went through and said, we need to redo this and make it more so in a, a realistic way and a more respectful way, they had to redesign that so he could be a part of it, just like they had to make sure Claude didn't look like some dude with a radar dish on his arm. I think they did a great job as far as for doing that and then staying respectful to the source material, but adapting it and making it so everything worked out so well. Okay. Well, that's kind of what they also did with... The mom character isn't Ramonda. I mean, she. If you you brought in the backstory from the comic, I think they did a wonderful job of adapting the source material in such a way that just good, smart choices that supported the view of the world that they genuinely wanted for this film. To get back on the point of being the most important movie in the Marvel universe, there's several things that I wanted to highlight and then wrap okay. up with a question. First thing is you've got an all african-american cast which was great because you weren't a minority for a change you were the not only the lead the backup and all of the supporting players so that i found that very positive the strong women need to be re-mentioned again because there's this thing called the girlfriend effect in movies where if you just look at what a girlfriend adds to the story usually it's she's the one that gets abducted she's the one that falls in the woods and twists her ankles and pleads for help and it's the white guy that comes to the rescue All of the women here never once needed help. They were strong. They were almost the backbone and the nurturing system of all of Wakanda. If I could interrupt here for a sec, at Disney California Adventure right now, they actually have a Black Panther meet and greet where he comes on stage in a shield vehicle and he has three members of his royal guard. What Disney's discovering is that people will get in line and then it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm getting my picture taken with Black Panther, but oh my God, I'm getting my picture taken with the Royal Guard. They're more excited about getting their picture taken with these strong women who are dressed exactly as they are in the film. But evidently little girls of all shades are losing their minds about, I get my, to have my picture taken with the Royal Guard and and, oh yeah, the Black Panther too. There is a new meme going around Facebook where someone asks what your favorite Disney princesses and they say mm-hmm. princess siri of wakanda and they're like wait a minute she's not and then they shout princess siri of wakanda <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so yeah strong women and siri uh, was just brilliant every time she was on screen she could have stolen the entire movie and i think most people would say if she had her own spin-off series we'd be perfectly okay with that because she was yeah. a delight in every moment she was on screen now the question is you've got strong black cast you've got strong female warriors you've got all of these things in the right place the costuming the lip plates the no straightened hair because this is a place that's never been colonized by white people so all of those things from their culture stick through to today and one of my fears before the movie came out was were they going to pay lip service to the black community or were they actually going to honor it in a Uh respectful way and my belief is that they did it correctly that they did it respectfully McDonald, yeah. you, you agree with that? Yeah, but that whole thing, as far as in going in and seeing how they did that, as, as soon as, like I say, as soon as you saw when they hit Wakanda, and this will lead perfectly into where I'm going with this, you have five tribes that were living together, one that was kind of off in the mountains or whatever, but they've existed for all these years, and their culture was allowed to thrive. As a matter of fact, it was it actually evolved a little bit quicker because now they've got all this technology, and you got to stop back and think, and here's where we kind of get deeper, you know, as far as in black people going to see this movie. What would have happened 
if we as a people would have been left alone and people didn't come in and make us slaves and throw us on boats and all the rest of that or whatever, what would have happened if this culture would have been allowed to thrive? And people are sitting back looking, going, look at what we could have done and everything else like that. And these are conversations we have, you know, as far as in black people talking to one another or whatever. The Greeks got allowed to, got to do this or whatever, all these other cultures, you know, but whenever people came in and decided to enslave people and want to steal their riches or steal their gold from South America and everything else like that, complete civilizations were practically wiped out or made slaves. What would have happened if they would have just been left alone and they would have been able to thrive? And this kind of takes a look at that. Then here's something else I kind of wanted to talk about with this movie, because this is the conversation while we're talking about Michael B. Jordan and him being the ultimate Marvel villain. Yeah, he needs a special moment to talk about him. Go for it. What happened was you got a guy and... He had righteous indignation. Y'all killed my daddy. And that's at the root of everything. It's like, okay, you got a young black male, his dad's gone, and now he's angry. There's a social message to be made there. And what did he want? He wanted vengeance. He didn't have a father figure and everything else like that. He wanted his place in the throne. He was driven by anger. Now, was he driven by anger because his dad was dead? Was he driven by anger because he wanted revenge? Or was he more upset at the fact that y'all came and killed my dad and you've been hiding all this stuff that we could use for people who look just like us so we could evolve and we could be better and we could face our oppressors? Right. There's a big question right there. Was Killmonger really fighting because he wanted to fight for other oppressed people? Was he really, really pissed off? Y'all came and killed my dad, so I want to come and take my birthright, and now I want to go and do stuff. Here's another point that, that we kind of see back. Those tribes lived and existed with one another. The only time they really had conflict was when somebody challenged for the throne. Once Eric Killmonger got in there and supposedly killed the Black Panther and took over, he destroyed the heart-shaped herb. So instead of us living together and helping one another out and leaving it for the next king, he destroyed that. It's completely selfish because I'm the only one. Then after that, it's like this country has lived in peace for so long. Instead of fighting, no, 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 no. Now I'm going to exact my vengeance and we're going to send all these weapons out. Now we're going to fight the world. I'm very, very militant. I'm very, very angry about all this. And now this is what we're going to do. And other people are like, nope. And then I forgot what agent, what his name, what's his name was. He said, this is what they do. He was taught this by the CIA. When you go in, this is how we take over stuff. This is how we take over civilizations. This is what we do. We, we go in and we get the infrastructure and all the rest of that. And when Eric Killmonger showed up and took over and became king, the next thing you know, you have those five tribes fighting each other. Right. Because Black Panther is gone. And was it because we need to go out and we need to fight to take over the world? And now all of a sudden, because we've introduced violence into this peaceful culture, now we got black on black crime. I'm just sat back and I just looked at it because a guy came in and he's like, militant. This is what I want to do. And then you got the Black Panther. Remember his father. His father was like, the reason why he killed his brother was because I have to protect Wakanda. He was protecting the people. There's so many different things to sit and talk about. At the end of this movie, a killmonger wouldn't have died. I think T'Challa wouldn't have had any choice but to have killed him because that dude was too dangerous to be left alive, even though you might have wanted to. Just like his dad had to kill his brother so that the city and the people and everything else could survive. Dude, there's so much stuff we can sit back and talk about with that thing. Like, I was at the barbershop the other day, and that's where we're going back and forth. They're like, yo, Killmonger was dope and blah, blah, blah. And that's what we need to do as a people and everything else like that. Dude, this movie is sparking conversations in places. Like I say, if you in a barbershop and we talking about this, if we at my church and they're talking about this movie... This thing has gone beyond just being a great Marvel superhero movie. It's going to keep making money. Stop and think about this, too, on a completely different scale. Usually, don't people go in bootleg movies and everything so you can watch it and all the rest of it? People are taking their kids to go see this movie. People are getting dressed up in African garb so they can go see this movie. And the black community is going to see it two or three times. Right. This thing, it's it's crazy. Expected it to be good, but oh, my God, it's... (laughs) And Marvel is sitting back to it. I'm like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. But, you know, they've done some great stuff. And I'm they I'm are. excited, man. I'm very, very right. excited. Well, this will lead to my final question before we wrap up on our discussion of Black Panther. Well, mm-hmm. actually, it's kind of a two-part question. Since the movie is creating discussions, do you think in any way, shape, or form this movie could help our cultures come together and maybe possibly start healing some of the damage we've done to one another? Only if people can sit back and realize that we are a people and we have culture and we are more than it's kind of funny i want to tell you we're more than what you see on the movie screen by looking at us portrayed in this way on the movie screen we are more than the stuff you said we were 
and the movies portrayed beforehand because look at what we were portrayed as in a purely positive way and a purely superhero fantasy kind of way and look at how much money this is making and look how much of a cultural impact this is having so people can sit back and see it and your kids might run around i saw it already little white kids run around wearing black panther halloween costumes that's cool and everything but did you learn anything about it are you open to the discussion are you willing to evolve beyond the fact like you know what y'all are more than just listening to migos and run around with your pants hanging out off your ass and everything else like that y'all come from kings and queens in a country someplace it's like learn a little bit more you know when eric killmonger said the whole line at the end about dying and let me die at the bottom of the ocean you know where my aunt's that whole thing right there it's like Go back and, and learn a little bit more. And like, yeah, you're not just a stereotype. So this movie, it's a movie. It's entertainment. But can you move beyond what you thought we were to something that said we could be more than that? So when I look at it, I look at it. It's not a solution, but it is the start of a conversation. And part of yeah. solving problems is just getting a conversation started. That's awesome and everything. But I got to sit back and say, too, or whatever. It took a Marvel movie for y'all to sit back and be like, oh, Things should probably be different. Really, a Marvel superhero movie was the thing that changed your mind and moved the scale as far as in how you decide you're going to look at black people differently. Yes. I understand it's a starting point or whatever, but if, if that's how bad we had to dumb it down for you. Uh. You're absolutely right by that point. It's long overdue, but now that it's here, and that leads to my final question, is in a similar way where Deadpool went R and it succeeded wildly in the box office and then Logan was allowed to become an R-rated movie after that, do you think that the success of Black Panther is going to change the landscape of Hollywood significantly in the foreseeable future? Are we going to see more movies that are about black culture done authentically and done well by passionate people that can continue the conversation? It shouldn't stop. Before, before this movie even got going or whatever, you already got Black Lightning on the CW. We've been making good black movies with good black directors and good black cast for a very, 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 very long time. Before the Black Panther movie, did you get the trailer for the basketball movie about the old, I don't know if it was like grandparents? Uncle something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, to where me, they, that's uh-huh. black exploitation. Well, so is every Tyler Perry movie, but you ain't gonna, you ain't gonna stop brothers and sisters from running out and going to see a Medea Boo Part 3 or whatever. You know, that's, no, that's just what it is, but but, but Tyler Perry is also a part of the culture. Yes. And don't get mad at Tyler Perry for dressing up like a woman because Flip Wilson did that stuff a long time no, ago no, as no, well. No. I, I got no, hey, uh, you know, Monty Python's been dressing since women. So, I mean, I don't yeah. I don't care what you're wearing as long as the yeah. content is good. In which case, no, it is not because Tyler Perry is horrible. Saving you from saying it. It's got a good thing. It's got a good Christian undertone sometime or whatever and all the rest. And if he, somebody's going to eventually play this for him, he's going to just, oh, it's just terrible. But okay, that, well, look, here's the thing. Here's ahead, my ahead, point ahead. is that uh, Tyler Perry makes movies off of his own money, right? He finances most of his own work. And he's, he's got guy, yeah. a, the Disney company, which <laughs> let's admit is mostly made of white people. And they've put out a product for the black audience that is well received. Now, instead of just other black people making material for an african-american audience can we start looking at the studios to realize that they're if they take this seriously and realize that there is a authentic audience waiting for this content will they start delivering it instead of tyler perry having to put up three million dollars of his own money to make his own movie that he wrote and directed that's a tough one, man, because they want to make movies that they think people want to go and see. And I don't know, it's like hip hop music or whatever. You could put out a bunch of conscious stuff and everything else like that, but they go in like, okay, let, let me get the music that panders to this. And so they want to put movies out that play to what people know and what they see. It's It might take a while, but like I say, this stuff has existed for a while. There have been movies out there that have had black people in positive positions and role models and all the It's The formula is there. It's like if people decide, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. My fingers are crossed for me to sit back and go, it took a it took a superhero movie for this to happen. There's been so much other important intelligent source material out there. You've had great authors, you know, hell from back in the day that you could have been, you know, basing stuff on or whatever, but it took, you know, somebody to sit back and I don't know, man. Like uh, I said, it's a great point to end on. We should have been aware of this generation yeah. ago. And the hard reality is the phrases show business. One of the things that is making people pay attention is the fact that this film, as we're sitting here talking about this, is, what, three quarters of a billion dollars worldwide. And that's 10 days into its release. Sadly, what's going to get a lot of people in Hollywood 
to get on board this idea and is the very fact that look what happened. Look at the amount of money this movie made. And it's a little crass, it's a little commercial, but well-intended things will happen because people will, quote-unquote, follow the money. It's just sort of like, oh my God. But my hope is that when they go for their cash grab, that they make something authentic by authentic artists from that community that actually speaks in some form. It doesn't always have to be positive. You know, there are dark stories that shed light on unknown issues and stuff like that, but it's not pandering. Let me throw this out there for you as well, too. They can make what they want because that's what they're going to do. What we as a people have to do is decide that we're going to see that, we're not going to see that, we're going to support it, we're not going to support it. Case in point, what was that horrible... Gods of Egypt, you had one black person in that movie or one person of color in that movie, right. and you got nothing but white people running around being, no, no. That's, so what people have to do is like, we're not going to pay, we're not going to go see that, and people need to point out that is boo-boo right there, so we're not going to go do that or whatever. Right. If you make stuff that portray us in the right way, we will support that and we'll go see it. But once again, there's some horrible rap music out there, and people will continue <laughs> to support that and listen to it. You can put out a horrible-ass movie, and like I say, Tyler Perry does some great stuff or whatever, but you know, when you keep on coming out with certain things like that or whatever, uh, uh, I'm torn because I don't want to tear another brother down and everything else like that, but come on, you and I both know that Medea, Butu, or whatever, don't know. You know what I'm saying? We have to demand better and we have to let them know we'll put our money behind stuff that portrays us and shows us in the right way, but if you keep putting out garbage, we're not going to go see it. All right, I you think know? that's the perfect place to end it. Yep. Thank you very much, our special yep. guest for the day, McConnell Adams. Thank you, Michelle, for joining us. I oh, really appreciate you making the time tonight. I'd love to hear what you had to say. Thank you, sir. You know, I love when he laughs because he's got this very infectious laugh, and he's just a joy to be around. So we, we've had a, a good time over the years. He's a dear friend of mine. One of the breakout characters, and we, as we were discussing with McConnell, it is Letitia Wright Shuri, the sister of the Black Panther, or the princess of Wakanda. But again, you have this brilliant woman of color, and Disney has been trying to figure out how to lateral here. We have, just next week, Wrinkle of Time, Disney's big family film opening up, and you've got Storm Reed, a young tween adolescent girl playing Meg Murray, the girl who drives that story. And the whole notion is, okay, we have all these people who really love Shuri. How do we get people who are excited about seeing a really smart black woman? How do we get them excited to go see a movie with a really smart black girl? And it's there's just something sometimes when you talk with people in publicity that it's like, you understand how crass that sounds? Yeah, it's almost like gallows humor in an operating oh God, room. Yeah. I mean, we, we speak very frankly about demographics Mm -hmm. and the type of people that we're trying to communicate with yep well here's the thing the comparison they made or at least to me was that it was 2009 james cameron's avatar came out and it was the first film in years that had been done in 3d and audiences lost their minds you know that worldwide Mm -hmm. that movie made three billion dollars disney has the first 3d movie that came through the door after Avatar, and that's Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, which hit theaters, I want to say, March of 2010, April. But that movie, because, again, you had this audience that was hungry. They'd had this great 3D experience, and it's like, oh, I want to do that again. Can I see a movie like that again? So why, sure, we have Alice in Wonderland. And that movie actually did exactly half the business that Avatar did. Now, right behind that came a remake of Jason of the Argonauts in 3D, and and it was one of these things where suddenly it became a set of stairs where there were a lot of people who went to Alice in Wonderland who didn't enjoy it quite as much as Avatar and so didn't necessarily go back to Jason and the Argonauts, but by then, Hollywood being the big dumb beast that it is, everybody had pivoted and was having their movies remade in 3D, repurposed Mm -hmm. in 3D, and -hmm. you can look at the box offices from 2009-2000 2010, 2011 of all of these 3D movies. And it's honestly a set of stairs. You just watch the grosses drop because it's like, I was really looking to have another experience like Avatar, which Cameron's working on, is it three or four at this point? Honestly, I I haven't cared. Never once have I cared about Avatar. I mean, the movie is beautiful. I think the story is a story that's been told several times before in, a, in other ways and other stories. So 
I didn't feel that the story was special in any way. I just thought it was a story that had been reskinned for this beautiful 3D experiment. And so when I found out that he was going to be doing a sequel and then it was, oh, he's going to do four sequels, uh, the whole time I was like, yeah, I don't care. When I found out that Disney was building the land of Pandora or Avatar World or whatever it's called, I never cared. When they, I found out they were doing a Galaxy's Edge, oh, then my ears perked up. And then in the news earlier when you said they're doing a Marvel land, again, my ears perked up. But I know all of those characters and... Both you and Len have mentioned in your Disney Dish podcast, one of the big flaws with Avatar is they're using characters that people don't know. Apparently, there's a shaman who's not even in the first movie is going to be in the sequel. Well, no, if nobody knows who he is or what his purpose is, you can't be attached to that character. The fact that James Cameron is also taking an extra 10 years of time between sequels to finally getting around to number two does not help Avatar Land sell any more tickets. It may be beautiful and people may enjoy it, but there's certainly no buzz around the movies to help generate buzz around the land. It's so funny you say that because I, I got to interview John Lando, the producer of the original Avatar and all of the stuff that Cameron's doing now. And to his way of thinking, the, well, depending on who you talk to, it's 450, possibly $600 million that Disney spent on Pandora. He's like, this is a coming attraction for the next four movies. I mean, this is what's going to get people excited about the world and going back there. So, you know, I'm thrilled that Disney built this. It makes my job that much easier. So. Exactly. The park became a commercial for the movies, not the movies becoming a commercial for the park. It would have been better for Disney had it been the reverse way. Now it's better for James Cameron, and he can now drag his feet for as long as he pleases to get everything just perfect because, well, you know, there's a $400 million park behind it. I can't waste their movie by doing a crap job. i got to do it right, so I'm going to need an extra two years or whatever it's going to be. That's completely why I don't care. I love James Cameron's work, Terminator and stuff like that. I wish he would do something else that was original and new. Well, I guess we're going to have to wait to see those movies to decide if... Obviously, if there's a $400 million park behind it, he's going to finish doing the four movies and it'll take forever. And he's he's not going to work on anything else in between here and there, which kind of bums me out. But eh, that's the reality. I'm okay with it. Moving on. He's supposedly restarting the Terminator franchise yet again. And James has supposedly inserted himself back in the process, largely because he... He producer or like, director? Well... If it's producer, I don't care. Okay. You know, I mean, if, if he's directing it, great. <laughs> and if James Cameron has a fresh idea to make the whole thing new and exciting as a director, 100% on board. If he's producing it, could care less. Rather than starting over, folks, we have actually come to the end. I mean, that's the end of, of this wah, edition. Wah, wah. <laughs> the sad trombone. There we go. The, this edition of Marvelous Disney. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to, for McConnell for coming on again. I love his insights. This is Jim Hill, and for Aaron Adams and myself, thanks for listening. <laughs>